and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett, the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show with my co-host and Frank's on holiday. So we've got Ewan Larkin, reporter at PR Week, in his place. How are you doing, Ewan? Doing very well, Steve. Happy to be back here. Yes, always a pleasure to do a show with you. And you're off on your holes yourself, aren't you? Off yep. to Italy. Yes, indeed. Tonight at midnight should be yeah. a long flight. Enjoy that. And uh, yeah, Rome, fantastic. Jealous. And we've got a great guest today. We've got Neil Shah, who's the founder and CEO of Easy Newswire. No holidays for you, Neil. A busy startup founder and CEO. Yeah, it's all work, work, work. That's what it is. Thanks for having me, Steve. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah, looking forward to finding out more about Easy and uh, chatting through a few topics. We'll talk to Neil and then we'll find out about the Purpose Awards. We put the shortlist out. Betsy Quinn is leaving Ketchum after 38 years. We'll find out what's... Uh, talk a bit about Betsy's contribution. The UAE has hired a PR agency for COP28. Hawaii PR firms are responding to the horrible wildfire disaster over there. And uh, we'll look at a study. Bad news dominates the most responded to media pitches. Guess that's not a surprise to us cynical journalists, but uh, we'll uh, talk about that. And then a bit of fun at the end, we've got this Fight Club poll running. Never mind uh, Musk and Zuckerberg. Which of the Battle of the Brand mascots would you like to see? So we'll chat about that and anything else that grabs our attention in the next few minutes. So, Neil, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about Easy Newswire. Um, you're a sort of long-standing investor in the tech space. What was it that uh, made you look at uh, the newswire sector and tell us what, what Easy's place in the market is? Yeah, happy to. So look, uh, got me excited about the newswire space, which probably doesn't excite too many people ever. Um, was that it was I didn't in, want to say that but, you know. <laughs> look it was a space that hadn't seen innovation in a long time and you know we thought that we can create a product that was more affordable uh, that served a much broader uh, customer base and really frankly as the name suggests made it easy for those businesses to get the word out yeah so PR is not just about press releases anymore is it back in the day that was how people spent most of their time there's still a place for press release and modern versions of you know with additional assets and uh video etc but um easy is what's well, tell go on let, let me give you have your plug for what what, what you can do what's the sort of uh, usp of it yeah i mean look that that was the plug the idea was to make it easy and affordable and allow more people uh, and more businesses to get the word out uh, our process is quite different from uh, from the legacy news wires. Uh, and we're also taking it in many different directions in the future, which I can hint at in a minute. But we kind of took a step back when we built the business or started building the business and looked at the history of the newswire space. And we found that, uh, you know, what might have served a purpose 50, 100 years ago no longer serves the same purpose. And is there a way to modernize the newswire so that it can kind of keep up with the, with the prevailing times? So there's a bit of user generation involved here, isn't there, in that companies kind of can use the technology directly and, and do the uploading themselves. Is that how it works? Yeah, we do. Um, we offer content creation. Uh, we use our own uh, spin on some of the large language models. Uh, about half of our, our customers today use that. The other half simply have a draft ready to go that they've, they've, uh, they've written themselves and they just tap into our distribution network. 
And how does it work in terms of you? I know you're doing uh, a tie-up with a media company. Has uh, tell us a bit more about that distribution model and that and that particular deal. Yeah, we are um, launching soon with the Post and Courier. It's the largest uh, publisher in the state of South Carolina. About two million monthly digital uh, viewers, unique viewers. Uh, really, the publisher of record. They've won a pub. They won a, a Pulitzer. The second largest, a uh, second oldest newspaper, rather, in the United States. The oldest one in the South. So we're going to be launching with them uh, next week or so. Uh, we'll be their exclusive provider of uh, of press releases and, and business announcements. So we're really excited about that. And it's going to allow businesses not only across the state of South Carolina, but really anyone that wants to publish and reach that audience uh, to um, to be able to do so at a very affordable price. Yeah, and there's, there's a bit of a rev share model left so that the publisher can benefit from it as well as you It know, is, your yeah. Business. And that's a, that's a big difference, I think, between us and, and I think uh, some of the others is that we work pretty closely with the publishers. We share revenue. And I think it's that's an acknowledgement of how the times have changed. And, you know, I actually prepared some notes here and happy to as a student of history, as I know you are, Steve, or at least purport to be. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, the old brains, know. yeah, the old brain cells don't, don't carry as much info as they used to. But you know, we there's all only try. a few of them left. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> look, I I can say the same for myself, so that's why I have to write this stuff down. Otherwise, I'll forget it. But you know, if you look at the history of the newswires, you have to actually look at it as really as a history of information and and and, and data. Prior to 1840, if you needed to get the word out it would have to be done through physical transportation or word of mouth, right? On a <laughs> ship, on a train, on a horse, you know, on your feet, so forth. That was really the genesis of the Pony Express, right? The infamous Pony Express. Yeah. They were able to, by you know having these riders ride horseback across the country and setting up these kind of way stations along the way, they cut the time to get news from New York to California from weeks to days, right? And that was a big innovation. Around 1840, you had the advent of the telegraph, right? So this was Samuel Morse coming up with the Morse code, being able to transmit information electronically. That was a game changer, right? It put the Pony, it put the Pony Express, which was in business for 18 months, it made him bankrupt. Because now all of a sudden you went from months to weeks to convey the information to hours to minutes. Mm-hmm. A 10 or so years later, around 1850, the submarine transatlantic cable was no, we're laid. We're not going through all these, are we? No, no, no. no. I'm not going to bore you. I'll get to, I'll get to the, the meat of it in a second. But I do think it's interesting when you look at an industry, you really have to study its history, its etymology, understand kind of where it is today, yeah. right? The AP was formed at that time and you know, here in New York, a really consortium of a few newspapers. Reuters was formed in London. Then in like the 1890s, you had the teletype. So you went from hours to minutes, then to minutes with no decoding with the teletype, which is effectively really two typewriters connected to each other, um, you know, with like a normal 28 key-ish type of keyboard. Uh, and that's when the newsrooms really started to change, right? So the AP was the first to put the teletype into a newsroom around 1914. And then 1954, PR Newswire was born. 1961, Business Wire was born. For the first time now, businesses could pay to get their to get their word out and reach, um, you know, reach uh, publications and the publications audiences. And as you all know, in 1990s, the internet happened. So then it went from minutes to like instantaneous, right? So it went from this where the PR newswire, business wire, really the gatekeepers of this information to now the information became decentralized. It became available to anyone, anywhere, any journalist, you know, on demand. 
So that was a pretty big sea change. And that's kind of how we approached this. We said, look, there's been a, a tectonic shift in the industry. And it goes back to the Victorian era to the internet age. It's like, what is the next step, right? Because the newswires haven't really changed their model that much. They still charge thousands of dollars. Um, you know, it's a it's a, a really antiquated process. And so that's kind of the was the genesis of our founding and how we started looking at this industry. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking we're going to chat about the battle of the brand mascots later, but it'd be fun, kind of fun to get you in the room with one, someone from PR Newswire and Business Wire, and get get the battle of the uh, the wire services. That would be a fun chat. But uh, everyone's talking about AI, aren't they? How's that going to play into the future of uh, newswires, or or is playing in? Is that something that's on your radar as well? You know, in terms of I, I, I take exactly what you say about uh, innovation. You know, it probably hasn't been the sector that's seen as you know as much innovation as it could have done. So, do you see AI as as going to be a big game changer, and, and if so, how? Yeah, look, I mean, if the 1990s created the internet, which uh, was a, a, a tectonic shift, as, um, as we just talked about, I think AI is the next logical big mover, right? Um, you've seen the AP already announced that they're partnering up with OpenAI. Uh, they're opening up that uh, toolkit to their to their reporters. I mean, that's a, a really big change in the industry from a uh, from an organization like the AP that carries a lot of weight. Yeah. So I think AI is, is it going to be a game changer. I think it's going to help a lot of people create content. I think, of course, that there's a, there, there are some uh, externalities that are negative to be aware of. Are you going to be integrating that into Easy Newswire or are you concentrating on getting the, the product up and running and getting distribution? We do. We, we already have it. Uh, we do offer that service. About half of our, our customers use it. The other half have their own content. Uh, and for many people, it's just a way to get to a really good draft right away. Yeah. You don't need to have a, a an expertise in, in writing. You don't need to be a um, you know a PR agency. It kind of changes the dynamic of who can access um, PR and and uh, versus before. Okay, and now in your marketing materials, you talk about so doing for the news the newswire sector or press releases a similar thing to what Leg Legacy has done for obits and Column has done for legal filings. Just unpack that for us. Sure. So if you look at legacy.com, I mean, they're an interesting company, uh, privately held. They made it easy for folks to access the publications that matter for that specific piece of content, which is a bit morbid, but, but you know, it's necessary. It's obituaries. Yeah, if your uh, loved one passes away, you want to put out something to commemorate their life, you can do it in the publication that actually matters to your community and people can see it. Um, it's a, f it's a way to celebrate that person's life. And they created a, a mechanism that, that, uh, made it really easy for publishers. I think they have about 2,600 on their network to be able to, um, to use their technology and, and, and offer it. So I, I, and I think, you know, column is doing something similar for legal disclosures and announcements. We're doing it for press releases. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's different form of content and, you know, roughly the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got the, the Post and Courier going live soon. And what's the plan? You want to sign up a lot more media partners and basically just scale up? Yeah, we have a pretty long, you know, frankly, we have a, a pretty long pipeline of, of publisher partners that want to work with us because our value proposition to them is uh, makes a lot of sense. It's just a function of our team and bandwidth. And so we're trying to, uh, you know, scale that accordingly and, 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 and be mindful of how we we add publishers to our distribution network. Um, we're really excited about the Post and Courier. I think 
you know, the way we approach this industry is, is, is local. We think that especially for small, medium sized businesses, even big businesses, right? The people that you touch are, are local and having that local presence is infamously hard to do. And our wedge is that we enable that through, um, you know, through this piece of content, which is a press release. And then there's a lot of other ways that we can, um, you know, kind of uh, scale that uh, in the local markets too. Yeah. Well, anything that puts a bit of uh, money in the pockets of local papers and keeps them in business and hopefully um, allows them to invest in local content is, is a good thing because that's a, been a great shame, the, the decline of regional and local papers. So just to finish up, Neil, every investor like yourself has a sort of plan and a end game what's uh, how do you see this playing out over the next 12 months and what's the sort of uh i don't know if it's an exit plan but what you know where, where do you take a, a venture like this yeah i mean i wish i was smart enough to to know what my exit plan would be i'm, <laughs> I'm you know i'm, I'm uh, it's day-to-day hand-to-hand combat at a startup as, as you guys know yeah um, look, we want to add more publishers. We want to, to uh, certainly uh, reach out to more businesses across the country. But we're also ta- thinking about the press release as the first step into other forms of content that can help these businesses get that local recognition or, and spread the uh, spread their word, get the word out, build buzz in those local markets. So you're going to see more uh, flavors of our product and the ability for users to be able to get their word out in ways that goes beyond the press release pretty soon. Okay, well, good luck with the launch. And we look forward to plotting your progress and um, seeing how the easy news wire offer goes down. So, uh, yeah, thanks for talking us through that. And we'll get your input on some of these stories coming up. Ewan, it's PR Week Purpose Awards time. We just put out the shortlist. We'll be celebrating the awards in October on the first evening of our PR Decoded conference in Chicago, which is uh, always a great event. But uh, what caught your eye about the shortlist and who who's uh, battling for the big awards. Yeah, there's a, I believe there's 25 categories up for grabs. Uh, we announced this morning uh, some big names on the list. Um, from the client side, you've got Patagonia, Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and a couple more. You've obviously got the, the big agency players in there. There's Current Global, BCW, and there's actually even a Barbie campaign in there as well, Steve. It seems Barbie is a, you know, we've talked about Barbie popping up everywhere. Yeah. Um, so absolutely check out the list. Best of luck to everybody involved. As you mentioned, we'll of course be celebrating on October 11th. It'll be my second time at PR decoded lots of great content going on that week panels speakers and the whole lot um i'm really looking forward to it i uh you mentioned what campaigns have kind of caught my eye i think one that i'm keeping my eye on is uh joaquin's first school shooting which is a in partnership with change the ref and bcw um and they've kind of built it as a, a children's book to explain gun violence to childish politicians i think it's a really hot button issue obviously um top of everybody's minds um and i'm interested to see how it performs yeah we saw that i think that did well at Cannes as well didn't it and yeah. it's, it's done well in other rewards so we'll look forward to that yeah it's great uh, work that is celebrated at these awards i'm glad to see barbie's repped there have you seen it yet ewan i have indeed yeah actually i saw it a couple of weeks ago i uh, i enjoyed it i did not do the official barbenheimer double feature but i saw oppenheimer a few days after they're both excellent films very different but liked them both Neil, you won't have had time to go to the cinema, will you? You're still- no, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie <laughs> from start to finish. <laughs> so that's uh, that's one for you to look forward to. But yeah, there, there's some great uh, shortlisted campaigns there. So have a look at those. And um, yeah, we'll be uh, building up the the uh, towards the big show in Chicago. It's, it's going to be a brilliant conference and awards show this year. So uh, good one. Uh, Betsy Quinn, she's uh, sort of, Someone who's worked at Ketchum for 
38 years, believe it or not. And a bit of a, a secret weapon of Ketchum's. Ketchum's always done amazingly well in awards, it's, and especially the PR Week Awards. They're actually the winning most PR agency in uh, the PR Week Awards across uh, the, the 25, well, 24. We're just, uh, we launched our 25th. Um, but she's leaving, and um, Betsy was responsible for, she was one of the first people who, whose full-time job was uh, looking after awards entries. So talk us through it, uh, Ewan. Yeah, I will. Uh, Betsy Kim, who is, of course, Ketchum's partner, EVP, and global awards director, as you mentioned, she's leaving the agency after nearly 40 years. Um, she hasn't specified her next move yet specifically, simply stating that she's a free agent on LinkedIn. Uh, but as you mentioned, you mentioned their, you know, their strong showings in the PR um, awards. And with the 2024 award season gearing up, I'm sure she'll be on many companies' radar. Um, during her tenure with Ketchum, the agency won 146 Can Lions. Um, and she... and they picked up four lines for idea creation this year in its most awarded year in history, according to the agency. Best of luck to Betsy. Really a lot of people moves going on at this time of the year. You know, it's supposed to be a little quiet in August, but we're seeing a lot of big moves. And this is another notable one. Best of luck to Betsy in her next move. Yeah. And uh, so real enthusiast for the industry and for excellence. So it's always it was always a pleasure to work with Betsy. And um, yeah. I can think of a few agencies that could certainly use her expertise. So maybe she'll get some good freelance work out of that. And the UAE has hired a PR firm for its COP28 assignment, Ewan. I think this is a story you did. So talk us through it. It was a story I did. And, and it's a very interesting uh, story here. The, the UAE state-owned renewables company Mazdar has enlisted First International Resources to kind of bolster and burnish its image ahead of COP28, that being the United Nations Climate Summit the UAE is set to host later this year. Um, the agency is providing strategic counsel and comm support, as well as outreach to key stakeholders, according to one of the, the firm's public registration filings. Among their core objectives is to strengthen the overall reputation and standing of the UAE, Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar, and COP28 among Western audiences. Um, just for a little bit of context, Al-Jabbar is Mazda ch or Mazdar chairman and CEO of the state oil company Adnoc, um, and he's faced a lot of blowback um, um, for his role as president of COP28, particularly amongst uh, Western regions. FIR is tasked with effectively inoculating Algebar and COP28 from any potential criticism, while also solidifying the UAE as a leader in global decarbonation efforts and the transition away from uh, fossil fuels. Particularly, the agency will be targeting a bunch of countries in its PR offensive, including the US, France, Germany, Italy, Finland, Hungary, Spain, and the UK. It'll be focusing on the general public and what it calls p opinion elites, meaning high education, high income, and high information respondents. It's quite an extensive remit. Uh, the firm is being paid a monthly retainer of $100,000 uh, for six months, including $132,500 for its US-related efforts. So yeah, really a big push from the UAE to kind of uh, burnish its reputation ahead of this ahead of this big climate summit later this year. And what do we know about the agency? It's not one I'm that familiar with. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too familiar with it too. I knew they do, they do a lot of work in lobbying as well, but I think they're kind of known for strategic counsel. Um, it's kind of a. We know that they've that the UA had enlisted a story that we covered earlier this year that they had enlisted uh, BCW and Edelman for similar type of agreements related to COP. A few of those of which have broken down. Um, I believe one of those is still slated to to be ongoing until just before the conference starts in November. But it looks like they were kind of looking for um, another agency to step in and kind of take these efforts to a next level, and that's where. That's where FIR comes in. And uh, a familiar name has been sort of involved in the hiring of the agency. 
Uh, yeah, I believe so. We weren't able to get in touch with him, but Ander Vandermolen was uh, hired um, for Strategic Communications Council on behalf of COP28, um, and he was he was tasked with kind of seeking out and finding a new agency partner. Um, we unfortunately were not able to get into contact with him, but you know we it's. It's just, it's assumed that he was integral in the hiring of this agency. Yeah, uh, Alan, well known for his time at Edelman and um, on the client side as well, and uh, numerous roles in the industry. So, it's a difficult assignment, isn't it? And it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting place to hold a, a climate uh, summit in the UAE, isn't it? And yeah. If we remember the last. You mentioned Hill and Knowlton doing the last one in Glasgow. They got a bit of blowback because they obviously have clients in the energy space and they were kind of criticized for doing that as well as doing PR for this firm. So it's a it's a tricky assignment. It is. Yeah, yeah. I remember a French uh, member of European Parliament, he labeled Algebar, who was, um, you know, serving, as I mentioned before, as the president of COP28. He said having him in that position is like having a tobacco multinational overseeing the internal work of the World Health Organization. <laughs> so I think they've got an uphill battle in convincing Western regions to change their their public opinion of uh, both the country and its role in COP28. And COP28, do you, do you have to hand when it's going to take place? It's in November, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, that will get a lot of headlines. Neil, does, do, are there any guidelines on the, you, you know, where you draw the lines in the type of releases you'll, you'll feature on Easy Newswire? Obviously, um, ethics and purpose and all that good stuff is is a very important part of the profession now how do you sort of ensure that you uh, especially with a sort of user generated content uh, element to it how do you ensure that what is being published is uh, you know is is proper content and yeah absolutely i mean that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about so we uh, actually create a pretty big box uh uh, where uh, if anything is even remotely questionable, it gets put into into it and gets manually reviewed. So like just to give an example, obviously it can't be anything um, that is salacious, pornographic, no politics, uh, has to be relevant business content that's timely. Uh, so we have a, a number of, of checks and balances uh, before that press release gets approved and, and, and um, distributed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very important. In fact, I think our some of our requirements are even stricter than what, the AP has and other publications. We try to, you know, um, you know, we try to, to eat our own cooking, so to speak, eat our own dog food. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the best way to go, I think, and uh, better safe than sorry these days for sure. Um, very sad events happening in Hawaii with some of the worst wildfire fire seen in history, and uh, we've been chatting to some of the PR firms based on uh, not just in Maui but in Hawaii generally, and what and how they're responding both for their clients, but also for their staffers, you and talk us through it. Yeah, we spoke with um, four PR agencies to kind of see how they're helping out with their employees and the clients on the island. Uh, I'm going to start with IQ360. Um, they actually don't have any staffers or offices based in Maui, uh, but the agency has recommended to clients that they hold off on certain announcements or postpone events that may be perceived as insensitive uh, during the state of crisis in Hawaii. Um, as you mentioned, um, the deadliest in the U.S. in more than 100 years, the death toll now believed to be at 106. Um, Storyology Communications has also been getting the word out about organizations that have been vetted for people to donate, encouraging companies to match donations and making sure they have correct that making sure correct stories are being shared, helping draft communications for businesses, employees, and communities, as well as supporting remote logistics. Charlene Koane, president of Koane uh, Incorporated, is managing media relations and external communications for her clients, all 10 of which are based in Maui. Koane is also vetting ways that her clients can put donations. Um, while doing so, she was learning about things that may not work for her clients, but will benefit those affected. 
or business partners. She's also connecting business partners to affect, uh, sorry, to help affected families and funders. Thin Partners has approximately 80 full-time staffers in Hawaii. Um, and last Thursday, CEO Peter Finn started messaging um, worldwide employees with information on the Maui Strong Fund, which employees can donate to in support of relief efforts. That's kind of in part of the firm's rapid response Finn Gives matching donation program, which the company matches based on employee donations to support pressing causes. So, Yeah, yeah and that was uh, from a, an agency they bought in Hawaii, wasn't it? Right, with, yeah. Uh, about 80 staff as a travel and tourism specialist. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible situation, but it's, I mean, it's nice to see and encouraging to see agencies kind of pulling their weight during this, this crisis. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tricky because tourism is such an important part of Hawaii's, uh, economy. I think right. some people have said it's up to 80% of, of, of the economy, um, which has led to controversies around over tourism as right. well, even, you know, way before this with the locals feeling that the, you know, they're the beautiful country and there's the spirit and culture that was being, um, you know, decimated by, uh, by too much tourism. And, we, and we've seen influencers like Jason Momoa, you know, come out and say, don't go on your holiday, right? It's not the right time to do that. And uh, I think people were like, it's not right to be swimming and around right next to where people have just suffered, suffered horrible tragedies. But on the other hand, they, they, they've got to promote tourism and travel because that's a big part of the economy. So it's getting that balance right is, is a very tricky uh, thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I think it's kind of interesting. You mentioned Jason Momoa. It's interesting to see, you know, these big public figures, how they step up during these times of crisis and kind of act as pseudo communicators in the moment. You know, they're, they have large followings and big audiences and they have, you know, the ability to sway public opinion and make a difference. So, you know, nice to see Jason yeah. getting involved in this yeah. circumstance. On the other hand, if you've just invested in a holiday, a dream holiday to such a wonderful destination, it's a tricky, it puts everybody a in a tricky, sword, yeah, yeah, it is, it's difficult. It's a wonderful part of the world, wonderful people, wonderful culture and, um, yeah, it's, uh, our thoughts are with everybody there and, um, hope, hopefully that, that will come through it. Um, let's talk. I mean, we were talking about bad news there, and there was a study published to which we wrote about you, and that um, says bad news um, dominates the most responded to media pitches. Now, you know, news is often bad news, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a sort of a bit of a no shit Sherlock <laughs> uh, survey, but um, it you know it does it resonates with the Hawaii story and. Um, so talk us through what, what, what those findings were. Yeah. So this is this is um, a report that Propel has published. Um, it's annual or sorry, it's a journalist engagement report. Um, they found that I'll back up a little bit. They found that the average response rate of uh, reporters, editors and pro uh, producers to pitches was less than three percent in the first half of this year. I know we've talked about a lot of the times, you know, six PR people to every one journalist. So it's is it a question of just a sheer volume of pitches or are journalists just not seeing the quality of pitches that they would like to see? Um, I think we could talk about that. But pitches that are using the phrase generative AI. You know, we mentioned AI earlier. I think it's on the top of everybody's minds, especially this year. Um, pitches using generative AI, for example, were responded to 11.57% of the time on average. And stories related to social media companies like Twitter, TikTok, and Meta, on the other hand, were responded to only 1.5% of time or less. Um, and we mentioned the negative news. I think what's particularly interesting from the story is that when it comes to world events and politics, Negative news fared much better than positive ideas. Um, we've got some examples here. Stories about war saw 9.67 response rate compared to just 0.29% for stories about peace. Uh, King Charles's coronation received about 0.3% uh, 
percent of responses well compared to 7.17 percent response rate for pitches mentioning queen elizabeth so it's it's an interesting insight into editorial uh, teams decision making here but as you mentioned before you know a lot of times the news is bad news or perceived to be bad news and unfortunately it's what drives clicks a lot of people like to read about those kinds of stories um you know we cover a lot of crisis communications those are around big issues and uh, how companies are managing them they and people want to read about those strategies yeah i mean and sadly and this was discussed when threads came along wasn't it that it's a nicer happier place yeah and that uh, you know it was almost uh, people were enjoying hanging out in an environment like that but that only lasts so long doesn't yeah. it and you know negative news does drive the news agenda yeah and now threads is kind of you know it's it's user uh usage has kind of dropped yeah, off it's a swimming little bit. around like where, where's it going next yeah. Neil, you know, you're in the business of press releases and uh, you get a good view across all the stories out there. What's your take on this uh, study and, and the sort of negativity of, of things that get picked up generally? Yeah, I think, look, I mean, there's a lot of psychology studies that show that the strongest emotions are anger, right? And that's sad. That's a sad state of the human condition that we we are more engaged when it's something that's actually going to be bad news or, or it's going to, uh, it's going to invoke this type of negative response. Um, our business, we celebrate small wins. So we're in the opposite end of the spectrum, um, of just celebrating small wins and some bigger wins for all of our, our customers. But look, I think we all should take a, a, a pause at our, at our own behavior and activity. And, and, you know, I'm victim to it as well as, is, is, uh, trying to focus on, on all the good that we have. Right. And then that's, it's hard to do when there's so much negativity floating around, but I try to teach it to my kids and we try to live a life where we, we um, you know, we, we try to focus on the small wins every day. Yeah, I remember in a previous, uh, I edited a magazine called Young People Now, which was for youth workers. We did this survey with, um, uh, with Nielsen, actually, I think, and it showed that two thirds of stories about young people were negative. So... Uh, we did an editorial campaign called Positive Images to try and get people to write a few positive stories about young people. I'd love to redo the stats now because I don't think it's changed. You, young people get a pretty pretty bad rep, don't they? On, yeah, uh, they do. And this was pre-social media and, and what have you. So it's it was an interesting exercise and um, it, it did get, actually it did get a lot of pickup in the media, which was great, you know, and right. uh, it did raise awareness, but only for, you know, a short time and it uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be lying if i said there's now a load more positive stories around there about uh, young people but yeah interesting uh, study let's end with a bit of fun so the point we were just talking about fight club ewan it's our little take on the uh, musk v zuckerberg cage fight which doesn't look like it's gonna happen does it elon's gotta have an operation he's, he's wimped out a bit hasn't he and zuckerberg's all jacked up and ready to go but uh Tell us uh, about this poll and, and, and our take on it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very shocked to see that Musk Zuckerberg cage fight <laughs> happen at this point. I'd, I'd, I can't see it happening. But in the, in the spirit of fun, kind of forgetting about that, we at PR Week have kind of done a, a an August, yeah. an August initiative. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. We've kind of done a, our own take on it on a brand. Which brand mascots would you like to see go to head to head in a in an epic showdown or a cage match? We've got some some strong contenders here. We've got Grimace and Wendy. Grimace, of course, was in the news a lot recently for yeah. that. Uh, that viral grimace shake trend. We've got Mr. Clean and Colonel Sanders. That would be a matchup I'd like to see. That was the one I picked. I, I definitely tick, ticks that box. I do that one as well too, I think, actually. We've got Chester Cheetah and Captain Crunch. And we've got Flo and Lemu the Emu. 
And oh my god. As of right now, it's a it's a bit of a toss up between Grimace and uh, Wendy and Mr. Clean and Colonel Sanders. I went for the Mr. Clean matchup. I think that's the I one think that you're, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges there with the Mr. Clean. Like I mentioned to you, Steve, before, like Mr. Clean is gonna, you know. Uh, no pun intended. Clean the floor with <laughs> Colonel Sanders. How about, floor. how about Ronald McDonald versus Colonel Sanders? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. keep it the genre. Flo's that annoying insurance uh, person, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, the, the gecko would. Who would? Who would the gecko take on? Oh, I don't know. That's a good one. He he could be a sleeper candidate. The gecko. Aflac. Yeah. You take on the duck. Yeah, the duck. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's the one. Uh, yeah. The duck would just annoy the gecko to death. <laughs> Actually, we're going, we've got these. CEO of Aflac at our conference, Neil. So we maybe we'll ask him about that. Um, he's he's uh, one of our keynotes. Looking forward to that one. But yeah, it's a bit of fun. So go and have your say and uh, put your vote in. Let's see how many uh, votes we can get for this fun Augusty good news story. Well, we'll probably get criticised for it because yep. <laughs> you can't do anything these days. But uh, yeah, the polls on LinkedIn. That's where we're doing our polls these days. And um, yeah, so check it out. All right, uh, Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. find out thanks, about Steve. Easy Newswire Ewan. and uh, wish you the best with it. Ewan, have a great uh, holiday in Italy. Thank you. Will do. Rome. See Rome and die, they say, don't they? But yeah. anyway, don't do that. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, just a reminder, the, uh, the PR Week Awards, uh, 25th Anniversary Awards, um, the first deadline for them is the 29th of September. And actually, we just announced our chair of jury. It's uh, Dusty Jenkins from Spotify. So great to have Dusty on board for the Silver Anniversary Awards. As you know, they are the Oscars of PR. And uh, PR Decoded in Chicago, 11th, uh, the 11th and 12th of October with the Purpose Awards on the evening of the 11th. That's going to be terrific. Really good uh, s- slate of content for that. We have our 40 Under 40 ceremony on the 26th of October, celebrating the next generation of leaders. So that's always a great night. And yeah, it's it's official, folks. Our 25th anniversary party is going to be taking place in New York City on September 21st. We finally got it sorted. It's going to be at Sotheby's, a classy venue for a classy brand. Looking forward to celebrating this uh, great milestone and we're doing a big bumper package of content lots of family tree style content looking back and looking forward it's going to be great so uh, and we'll reflect that at the party we'll reflect that at the conference and the awards which are the 25th but that's all we got time for for now we'll see you next time on the pr week